0: This is episode 98 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Answers to Reader's Questions Part 1 15 Plus Ways to Stay Cool in the Heat and Zombie Apocalypse The Only Good Zombie is a Dead Zombie Not Necessarily Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, just a couple of things uh, before we get started. I want to send a shout out to JP for leaving a a review on iTunes. really appreciate that. Um, He says that he listens to it with his family. and so uh, Just FYI today, JP, maybe that last one when we're talking about zombies... There might be some sensitive stuff there. I don't know how young your kids are are, or how old or whatever, but uh, maybe you might want to listen to that one before they listen to it. Uh, But uh, I really do appreciate the reviews. I mean, the reviews really, I mean, it's encouraging to me, but then it's also, it really helps out on iTunes when people are searching for uh, prepper-related podcasts. And so it it just helps out to uh, the algorithms to get, to get out in front of them, so really do appreciate that. I don't know if you, um, if you're uh, friends with Michael Snyder on Facebook, uh, he did announce today. Remember again, I record um, the night before, so July fifth podcast. I'm re- recording it on July fourth, and uh, I'll say something about that in just a minute. Um, But Michael Schneider, uh, who runs the Economic Collapse blog, I mean, that was one of the first blogs that uh, I really went to. Um, He does a a really good job of backing up his information with a lot of sources. But the Economic Collapse blog, and he has a couple of other ones, but he announced today that he was running for Congress in in Idaho where he lives. And so uh, good luck to that. Uh, you know, I know that uh it's gonna be uh, a tough road, probably a lot of his opponents are going to focus on you know some of his uh his articles and the things his websites and things like that. but we wish him the best and good luck on that uh michael and then, like i said i was uh, I'm recording on the fourth, but I really had to wait i mean it's 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 past eleven o'clock tonight right now, and i just i couldn't do it earlier um my neighbors were popping fireworks so i'm out in the suburbs and you can pop fireworks and uh, i'm always amazed at how much money people spend on fireworks it's it's uh, it's crazy you know there's when the kids were were younger we would go out and i'd buy one of those packages for you know 59 anywhere between $59 and $100 right it had all the kind of different things on, in there that you could pop fireworks but the people around here are crazy. they buy the really big ones, and so it was like there were really big booms. Uh, my next door neighbor was uh was firing off some uh, that were kind of it was right out of my window right to the to the side of my window here so there was no way. I started recording and then I went back to go listen to it and it was there's no way there was just pops everywhere, and sometimes they were really really loud and you might still hear some. Uh, like I said, it's eleven o'clock tomorrow. I mean people are gonna be going to work, so hopefully they're a little bit more considerate um uh, but every once in a while, I still hear some so uh just in case you you might hear some on the podcast. but I uh, wanted to just kind of drop that out to you there. Um hey, we're always adding um, websites to um to the podcast that you know people who have website owners who are allowing us to read their articles on the web. I'm sorry, on the podcast and uh, for tonight uh, or for today's podcast, uh, we have one from SHTF school and, and if you are new to preparedness, you might not be familiar with Selco, uh, but Selco is uh, he's uh, he runs a website SHTF school actually he gets a little bit of help. Uh, he has a, he has a partner that actually on the American side, that uh, helps run it. But uh, a while back, he he posted a very popular... He, he was in Bosnia during the war, and he was in Sarajevo when it was surrounded, and they really went through SHTF. So, you know, when you talk to people who really have kind of lived that SHTF situation, Solko has been there, and, they, you know, I always uh, reference uh, Fernando Aguirre, too, who uh, he does uh, modern... Uh, Modern Survival as well um, Man I can't remember his his Website right off the bat I'm kind of losing it tonight uh, But uh, I always reference his his books as well uh he was in the collapse uh witnessed the collapse in argentina and he was able to get out i know he got out and went to ireland and then he went to spain i'm not sure if he's still in spain or not i know that he really wished to come to america and uh they just didn't approve his passport but he's got a european passport so he's able to bounce around over there uh maybe he did go to spain because of all the brexit stuff i don't i don't know uh because there was a lot of talk about that and in, in other other uh, countries, and maybe he wanted to get out beforehand. I don't know uh, honestly, but uh, that's just my thought. But anyway, so Selco um, a while back, I mean years ago, he was on a forum and he started, you know, he just kind of like responded to you know, somebody who was asking questions, and then people started asking him more questions, and one of them turned him to a really really big post. And uh, he realized that people were out there wanting to know what uh, an SHTF situation, a real one, really looked like. And so he decided to go ahead and make a website. So he has a website. He actually has uh, a course that you can take as well. Uh, but uh, in this one, he is answering questions that readers have sent in. So there's three questions here. So I'm going to – they're kind of uh, short as far, well, not short as far as um, whole blog posts go, uh, sh- you know. Answers to three d- different questions make for uh, a pretty l- decent size uh, or length uh, post. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read those uh, today. But we do have some good articles, in even th- that last one, you know, wanting to get to that one as well. So anyway, so this first one again comes to us from shtfschool.com. And, uh, it's answers to readers questions. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading from the very, very beginning. I asked you in one of my previous posts, what you would like to see or read here on blog. Oh, let me just make this. So let me say this before. Um, a lot of the times when I do read uh, blog posts, I do make corrections just you know when things uh when things need to sound right or maybe you know the, the the writer was uh just typing out so fast they forgot to add something or whatever I'm not gonna do that for this one just because um you kind of get a little bit more of effect of this Selka who you know he is uh a serb uh you know who is you know writing this so you kinda of get his uh, a feel for you know his broken English there so uh, just FYI on that one I asked you in one of my previous posts what you would like to see your read here on blog and your answers were were great actually I did not expect so many comments and questions there are some comments and demands about topics that I already wrote here yes and there are some new since number of questions is huge I will Every now and then publish one post with my answers and comments on some of your questions. Some questions will require an entire post alone. So here are a few. Selco. Selco, respectfully, I would ask three questions. How did people most often arrive at the decision to give up and stop surviving? How did others, family, group, squad, etc, handle that when became apparent? And how was it most completely handled by the group when a member did that? Regards, Ivan. Thanks, Ivan. When you are thrown into a survival situation, decision to give up is not so much connected with the lack of food, safety, water, services, etc. Usually, it is connected to the realization of the person who is giving up of the fact that there is no clear clue when all things will come back to normal when he again going to have food, water, security, etc. When you go days into fighting, starving, etc., surviving is a process where you push your body and mind more and more, and if you look too far into distance, and there is no clear evidence that things will get better, your will can be crushed very easily. You may conclude that it is not worth it, and then that's it. I know it is a generalization, but yes, you need not to look too far and to have high hopes. You just need to operate in your small circle and push day by day. It was a bad thing to see and it happened often. Good cure for it was that you need to find use or task for that person. You need to bring back a sense of purpose to them. Easier way was to find job for them, taking care for food, watching for the kids, anything that would make them feel useful. If member of the group gave up, and if the group structure was family, then usually other members tried to give some support, or if that failed, then just leave him alone in terms of duties and everything. Nobody had too much time for psychological help in that days. If group meant several people bonded together by chance or temporary need, no big and strong connections between them. then other harder measures were in place. All right, so um, maybe I'll give a little bit of comment here after the the uh, the, the answers. Um, that's interesting, right? Because uh, you, you realize, especially in this situation, you you realize that you are well when Selka was going through this they were going through their city was surrounded they were having issues but they knew that the rest of the world was out there and you know things were normal and so you kind of like hey what's going on why aren't people coming to our rescue why you know why are we condemned to live this way and scavenge and do all the things that we're having to do this way when the rest of the world is going about their lives normal would that be different if you realize that the whole world was in the same situation as you, you know, you were in. I don't know. And then again, you know, what if you didn't have time to sit down and to uh, spend time on, on, you know, reflecting on your life and those kinds of things? Instead, you were busy doing. Hey, I got to go out and do this. I got to do this. I got to do this, and you know, get all those things kind of, you know, th- those things done. Uh, do you have time to reflect? I know that when we ran the group home, uh, I've talked about that before. Um, You know when the girls came in, or when the kids came in, because we had you know one heartbreaking story. We had a kid who we had uh, we found some ice cream underneath one of the uh, one of the couches one time. It was melted, and we were like, hey, you know whose is this? What's going on? And uh, one of the little kids said, hey, I wanted to save it for my brother because you know he we don't get ice cream very often and so he didn't really grasp the idea of that it was going to melt and he wasn't going to be able to give or share it with his brother whenever he was going to see them in the future and so you would hear different things like that a lot of the times when the kids would come in they were um they were like always watching right uh they never uh, they would eat everything on that we would put out. You know, And we, you know, we cooked for, we had, you know, seven, usually seven kids in the group home. It was my wife and I, we, we had an assistant at the very beginning. And then there was, uh, you know, when our kids were, were born and stuff too. And so, uh, you know, so we had a lot of people. So we would cook for a bunch of people, and, and uh, you know the kids would eat it all. They would eat it all, and we wouldn't really have any issues with them uh, eating eating the food. Now, as time went on, and they realized it's the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right when you when you first you, you want, need to make sure that you are safe. And that all your basic needs are met. So when these when these kids realize that they that that we weren't going to hurt them, that we weren't going to abuse them, that you know that we were taking care of them, that we were allowing them to, you know, we had a, a show, they had a roof over they had, had their head, they had food, um, they had water, they had you know they could take a shower, they were clean, they had clean clothes. When they realized all those things were were met, then that's when we started seeing behaviors come up. That's when we started seeing things happen because their basic needs were met. And then they were able to start realizing, hey, well, why doesn't my mom love me? Or why doesn't, you know, uh, you know, Todd, you know Todd acts this way? Why didn't my father act this way? You know, uh, you know uh, or maybe they felt guilty. You know, I'm here. I, I'm in a safe place, but I don't know where my, my siblings are. You know, those different kinds of things. And that's when we saw the behaviors when, when those needs were met. So it could be in the same kind of situation where you realize, hey, I'm I'm getting kinda of my basic needs met maybe. Uh and and then and then when you have some time to really settle down and, and start to think. And that's when uh you know the holidays were, were really, really bad. So uh very interesting there. I you know, there's gotta be times where people just you know, just Realize, hey man, I just I don't want to live in this kind of world. I don't want to live in this kind of world where I don't have all. It's it's that thing where I I've I've had all this other you know I've been uh, I've experienced all this other life, right? And then all of a sudden it's been taken away from me, and I don't want to live that way. All right, so let's go ahead. Uh, I know I'm talking a lot here. There's a there's two more uh, questions and answers here. So let's uh, and they're good. Um, thank you once again, Selko, for showing us that the positive side of humanity is always capable of returning and surviving. What I, what I have always wanted to really know is what is it like to be in an SHTF situation when the UN troops are there? What are the UN troops really like? How to best act, behave, handle UN troops? I ask because I have heard both positive and very negative things about UN troops. I simply ask for the truth here. Thanks again, GRA. You heard good GRA, UN troops were patched together from the different army contingents, so there were British contingents, Spanish contingents, Pakistani, Portuguese, Dutch, etc. Looking at the big picture, they did horrible job because they were armed, they were underarmed, desperately badly coordinated between different con- contingents and without clear cause and function and political support. So in reality, we had situation where two opposed local units are in the middle of fight and each unit is around 2,000 to 3,000 men strong with tanks and artillery and suddenly there is a UN unit moving in with five APCs and 50 men in order to make ceasefire and of course everybody shoot at them or simply take their stuff and make hostages of them. They did not have clear tasks political will behind them, and firepower. On the local level, when it comes to individual members of those UN forces, I have seen cases where they simply break the clear orders and attack some guys in order to save civilians. So there were good people there, but horrible organization behind them. They did save people, evacuate injured civilians, or get shot while they tried to bring food in areas where people starved. They smuggled food sometimes, sell it to us for different kind of things or services, all different kinds of things, but I like to think a lot of people among them were trying to do good stuff. When it comes to fighting capabilities, I remember the British Army as a as a tough guys. Those were UN forces, they fell to make peace. Later came international forces, US led, with clear will and duties, and we all and we all here were fed up with slaughtering already. And what was most important with huge amount of force and by the sheer amount of force they succeed to bring peace. It was philosophy of whoever keeps firing after this date will be leveled by us. And it worked. How to handle UN troops. Every UN troops deployment are doomed unless they are coming with huge amounts of force and in great numbers. Or they are coming into the region where any kind of will for resistance is crushed long time ago. As an addition to your question and since I am aware of other comments and worries about UN forces on US soil, I really have to say my opinion, it is kind of fantasy. Numbers in US, numbers of weapons in US make any kind of UN troops coming to US to pacify us simply simply and clearly impossible. To pacify somebody, you need force several times bigger than opponent, and you need it on the ground usually, and you need some kind, to some extent, will to be pacified. All right, so um, that's interesting too, right? Uh, you had you had uh, you know local forces that were fighting each other, and the UN comes in with you know fifty men. And they wind up getting, you know, uh, their butts handed to them. Uh, a lot of the times, because they didn't have, uh, you know, the good orders. They weren't, they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. So you have all these people from all over, all over the world, coming together, and they're supposed to work together, and uh, things just don't work out that way, right? Uh, so that's, you know, very interesting. You, um, you tend to remember, uh, you know, the movie Behind Enemy Lines, uh, where you know they try to get uh, NATO uh nato guy was it nato guys or u n guys to go in and, and to get that down uh that down plane uh and then you know the u s had to go in there and uh and gene hackman right he he plays uh the commander of of that ship and they go in there and they uh they uh save uh i can't remember the guy's name they save him anyway and uh but he gets you know he gets demoted for doing that but anyway it, it's very interesting, and then you remember uh, you know if you 've been prepping for a while you've probably have read uh James Wesley Rawls's Patriots, and so you have u n forces come in and they try to uh, you know they try to do their thing as well, but they encounter resistance, and so what uh, Soko was doing is if if they come in and they don 't have overwhelming force they 're not going to do uh, they 're not going to do a good job they 're not going to be able to accomplish what they really need to accomplish if they don't have Uh, you know, a good command structure. They don't, they're not organized. They're not clear on their orders. Uh, And like, you know, he said there were some good guys who did, who broke orders and uh, did whatever they needed to do to save civilians. But again, they were breaking orders. So, you know, later on down the road, if that gets out, you know, they can wind up, you know, uh, paying a, paying a consequence for that. But he did say there was good guys that were trying to do the right thing. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. Is, is the UN forced to? Uh, is it is it just doomed because of the nature of how it all works together? I don't know, but uh, that's interesting to hear from his perspective. Okay, the last question is: I'd like to hear about how you bartered for things you needed. What were valuable items for barter? Was the local currency still worth something? Were foreign currencies used? What about gold or silver jewelry or coins? How were you able to ensure your safety during barter transactions? What did you do if you found out you had been cheated? Little L. I did write about this topic already, but since it is an important topic and one of the favorite on blogs and with lots of myths too, I will answer it in short. First and most important is that nothing was preset. Nothing was constant and that include basic factors like value of items, security of trade, rules of particular trade, etc. As the situation worsened more into the direction of real SHTF situation, people started to appreciate and look for usable items and when I say that I mean items that solve your immediate problems. So, for example, if you had precious artistic picture that in normal times is worth around 10,000 euros, you could not do too much with that in terms of trade because simply people did not care for that. They were hungry, wet, cold, dirty, without enough weapons and bullets. Maybe you could find some warlord who had connections with outside normal world, and he could maybe give you 20 cans of meat for that art because he know you are starving. Or in other case, he could simply take it from you and maybe kill you or not because he is a warlord and you are nobody. Now, this is something that can be transferred also in terms of owning precious metals for SHTF. When SHTF, it will worth much less simply because you cannot eat it or you cannot shoot from gold coin to someone Yes, you can try to buy weapons with gold coins or food at outrageous price and with danger of getting killed, but what is the point? Why not store food and weapons in the first place? Gold and silver jewelry jewelry or coins in form of small rings and necklaces as temporary bribe in some situations works really cool and as a stash when some kind of society jumps back in when SHTF ends is a good idea too. But in the middle of SHTF, I prefer more usable items. In my case, local currency worked in the beginning stage of SHTF. But it was a very short period, then foreign currency jumped in. U.S. dollars and German marks, and as situation worsened, prices of things for marks and dollars went up very sharp, and also situations where you could buy something with it became rare, people started to trade. Ensuring safety during transactions or trade was a problem, but common sense was to never go alone on trades. Three is a good number. To trade with known people, returning trades, or to go to trade on confirmed information. You get information about trader from trusted person who already traded with him. Of course, very often you could, go, you could only go in threes. All else was unknown, so you took the risk. To have rumor or information about you that you are a bad trader or cheater, you gave bad items to someone, was bad because rumor then goes around and no one wants to trade with you. Also, revenges for bad trades were hard and sometimes final. But for example, it was not always about physical punishment. Guy cheated me once with some things and I simply spread out information on correct places that he mixed plaster and similar things in his wheat for trade. And soon he was simply scammer and nobody wanted to work with him. By the way, it was a lie. His stuff was good, but it is an example of how things worked. I hope these answers help. Let me know in the comments below if anything was of specific use or interest to you. I'll be answering more of your questions in future posts. All right, so um, man, you know, Selco hit a couple of uh, big questions there that a lot of people have in uh, in the preparedness community when when uh, you know they start uh, you know they're looking for you know those SHTF situations. So uh, very very interesting, uh, you know. Well, uh, I'll save that one for later. Uh, let's go ahead and move on because I'm starting to run really, really long here, giving maybe too much commentary. Uh, this next one comes to us from momwithaprep.com. And uh, Jane over there has an article 15 plus ways to stay cool in the heat. I know a lot of people are, uh, you know, it's we're smack dab in the middle of summer, and I know down here in the south it is hot. So this might be a useful article for you. Alright, so whether you are suffering through a summer of unusual heat, or just are without an air conditioner, use these handy tips to stay cool. While most of us in the United States have air conditioning, especially in the South, not every house has it. And across the world, air conditioning is a luxury in, in monetary times. Or in time, there just isn't enough extended hot weather to make it worth paying for. And for some, it is simply a luxury they cannot afford. In our home, our air conditioning can't keep up up with the summer heat and still afford us the ability to pay other bills and eat food. Electricity to run air conditioning at a level we find comfortable all summer long is expensive. So we've learned ways to help stay cool, cooler, plus take some advice from experts all over, you the readers. So here are 15 plus ways to stay cool in the heat. Stay hydrated. Drink a ton. You can use fruit to infuse your water, make lemonade or iced tea to change things up, stay away from alcohol and caffeinated drinks, which really just deplete your body of water, and loads of sugar, which just make you feel thirstier, making it that much harder to cool yourself. Turn on those fans. Moving air helps cool your body, which makes you feel cooler. Set your ceiling fan to turn counterclockwise. Increase the speed of the fan as the temperature rises during the day. Extreme heat tip. When uh, we lost our AC a number of years ago, we reverted to a way to help cool us in the height of summer. For the couple of days we were without and miserable. You can see the instructions here. Mist yourself. Use a mister or spray bottle to mist yourself during the day. Not only are you hydrating your skin, but you are adding moisture that is then cooled off by the air around you or evaporation, helping you cool down. Here's a handy battery-operated version that can be useful. You can also just do this with a damp towel, which helps clean, clean off stale sweat, but I always found that makes me kind of itchy, so I really love the mist. Don't cook. I know, I'm giving you permission. Our stove is smack dab in the middle of our living space and there is little in the way of true air movement if only I could smack the developers way back when. So cooking, especially if it involves the oven, can be one hot mess in the worst heat. So I don't use the oven in the summer if I can possibly help it if I need to bake. I do it early in the day or late in the evening. I freeze as much as I can earlier in the year to be able to pop out muffins. I use the slow cooker or instapot as much as I can or slow cook on the stovetop. We eat lighter, cooler meals and make use of cold like smoothies and overnight oatmeal for breakfast to get our day started. Or heck, even by evening sometimes I'm just too hot to eat and those make great dinners. Did you know eating smaller meals more often can help keep your body cooler? Big heavy meals can raise your metabolic rate, which makes you feel hotter. Cool it off. Soak a handkerchief in water and tie around your neck. Again, this adds moisture to your skin that evaporates and cools you off as it helps cool your blood and your head. This works around your wrist and your pulse points too. There are neck wraps that can be stored in the fridge or freezer too. Tip. Stick your wrist under some cool running water for a few moments to help do a quick cool down. Adjust your air conditioning. You'd think that having it really cold in your car or house would be a good thing except for your wallet. And it might be if you spend all of your time there. But if you get your body used to the really cold condition, when you have to transition to outdoor conditions, it can be a bit of a shocker for your body, making you feel all the heat all the more. Get out of the sun seems pretty obvious but working in the shade or working during the cooler parts of the day is in, infinitely easier on your body. So plan all of your outdoor work around your home in the wee hours or in the late evening. Then come inside and use a few of the other techniques to cool off. Eat cool stuff. Food, foods full of moisture are great at helping keep you hydrated, which helps keep you which helps cool you down. You can make healthy ice pops to keep in the freezer as a treat. Freeze grapes to snack on. Eat salad. Weird tip. Breathe into a cup full of ice. Not only holding a glass full of ice helps cool you down, but if you blow into the cup close to your your face, that blast of cold air gives you a quick bit of relief on your face. We tried it and it works, but I looked pretty dorky walking around with a glass in my face constantly. (laughs) turn off the lights shut the blinds While well, most of us have made the switch to CFL or LED bulbs if you're still using incandescent lighting that can generate heat which may be making you feel hotter shutting out the heat by closing the blinds helps create an insulating effect but remember that you can open up those windows at night to let the cool breeze in if you have them tip, if you're really suffering in a house you cannot cool down, turn off every electrical appliance you can They generate heat even running in the lowest mode available. While it may not seem much help in closed spaces, it can be a lot. Wear appropriate clothing. Wearing natural loosely woven light loose fitting clothing can actually help protect you better. Plus, having something covering your skin can help protect you from absorbing as much of the sun's heat when you're outdoors and allow you to feel cooler indoors as they don't stick to your body or keep heat in. Dress your windows. If, like us, your house is a dungeon with the blinds closed or you have one particular window that gets a ton of direct sunlight, I have a solution for you. When we installed heat blocking window film on our front windows, the relief from heat was immediate. Even as we were installing the film, we could feel a difference in the heat radiating through the window. You can get the window film from your local DIY store or purchase online here. Create a cross breeze. If you don't have AC or without AC, creating a cross breeze in your space is helpful to feel cooler. Breeze blowing across your skin, helping with the evaporation of moisture, sweat. You can set up a fan bringing in cool air from a shaded side of your house and another fan blowing out the hot air of the house to the outside. Or you can use this fan in one room that works both ways. Draw in cool air and force out hot air. Take a cool shower or jump in the pool. Even just having a kiddie pool with water that you sit in a chair and soak your feet in can cool you off tremendously. And it serves double duty as a water storage source should you need it one day. Go outside. It seems counterintuitive, but sometimes it can feel cooler outside than inside. When we lost AC in our home, the house isn't built for a cross breeze and it became stifling hot. Opening windows just didn't help, but we found that going outside using some of the, these cooling techniques and sitting in the shade of our big oaks gave us more comfort, even though it was still hot. If you have a shaded screen porch, lots of big shade trees, or anywhere that the breeze can offer a relief, try it out. Take off your socks. If you're tooling around and go and can go barefooted, do it, help Keep your feet from getting hot and sweaty, which just makes you hot and sweaty. Be sure though, and make sure to wear appropriate foot gear for where you are going. I always suggest wearing socks with tennis shoes to help absorb sweat, keeping your shoes lasting longer and not smelly. But if going in sandals, flip-flops, open-toed sandals, etc. is an option, do it. Wet your head. It helps keep your whole body cooler as the heat of your body leaves through your head dress your furniture. Add cotton sheets to fuzzy furniture. If your furniture is the kind that holds in heat, you can use cotton sheeting to help keep a cooler surface to give you a little bit more comfort. I know my couch is the hottest thing to sit on in the summer because it just seems to create hot pockets wherever you sit and radiate heat back to you. Use a rice sock. Rice socks aren't just for sore muscles anymore. Create rice socks, buckwheat pillows, or other grain in encased in cool fabrics which can be stored in the freezer and used to as a cooling pad on your body or in your bed. Using buckwheat pillows instead of fiberfill can help give you a cool space to lie your head at night. I suggest this more than using an ice pack because you don't run the same risk of ice burn with a rice sock as you do with direct ice. Preparedness Tip Keep these instant ice packs in, in stock Not only for first aid, but in the event of hot weather when you are without power. They can really help, but be sure to lay your clothes between you and the ice packs to avoid ice burn. Give your sheets a chill. May seem weird, but if you put your top sheet and bottom sheet, if you've got the room, or pillowcase into the fridge during the evening before bedtime, you can have a nice cool sheet to fall asleep on. Make sure to wrap them in a bag to keep them from getting dirty or transferring your own stuff into the fridge. We did this when our air conditioning went out years ago and it helped so much, especially the pillowcase. How do you do it? How do you keep cool when the air conditioning just isn't enough? Let me know in your comments below. Alright, so uh, a lot of, uh, lot of little tips there to try. Definitely some, uh, some links that you might want to go check out. Uh, Like uh, how to keep cool when uh, you know with the old-fashioned AC, um, when your AC isn't working. A bunch of other links there that you might want to go ahead and check out. So go check that out at momwithaprep.com. I like always I will link to it in the show notes and on the website, a prepper website podcast. All right, so let's go ahead and get to our last article of the podcast, and this one is uh, coming to us from the SurvivalistBlog.net. It's one of those articles that uh, you know you really need to think about. I'll be honest; when I first saw the uh, the title, you know, zombie apocalypse, I really didn't want to do anything with it. Uh, you know, I'm not just kind of I was gonna, you know, just kind of glance over it, but uh, I knew that it was at the Survivalist Blog, MD Creekmore's blog, so I, I went ahead and, and read it and uh, I was glad I did because there's some you know some good points which means you know it's always you know don't judge a book by its cover don't judge uh you know an article by its title although when we're scanning a lot of articles every single night I mean we you kind of have to do that um but uh just going to give you some some real food for thought here because when uh you know a lot of preppers believe when the shtf hits you know when the poop hits the 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 fan that uh, we're going to gear up and you know we're going to start defending ourselves right away and there's a there's a lot of things here that uh, that really uh, get you thinking and so um, you know this was posted it's been a while it was posted june 23rd but uh, you know i always talk about you know if there's a lot of comments there it kind of hits a nerve there's always a lot of comments over at the Survivalist blog, but there's, there's 244 comments on this one. So uh, let's go ahead and read this one. Um, again, this is by, by Dan. It's a guest post at uh, the thesurvivalistblog.net. And the title is Zombie Apocalypse, the Only Good Zombie is a Dead Zombie, Not Necessarily. A nuclear explosion has destroyed Phoenix, Arizona. You live 50 miles outside of the kill zone and upwind, and you can see the mushroom cloud. But you and your family are fine. Good sitting of your retreat buddy. There is nothing on the radio or TV. EMP effect, perhaps. Maybe the whole country is wiped out. This is the big one. All your prepping was worth it, and thank God you have weapons galore. It's only a matter of days till the zombie apocalypse hordes that survive the blast reach your area. But you are ready for them. You have the right weapons and ammo. You and the missus have trained for any scenario. Your tactics are sound. The killing ground is prepared. You are at peace with your decision to shoot and ask questions later. After all, you have two young children to protect and can't take chances. There have been many, many discussions about weapons and tactics to use when the SHTF. What is the best and most effective handgun to use? What is the best and most lethal long gun for dispatching your potential zombie hordes? Do you, each, do you eat your adversaries or merely toss them in the compost heap? Maybe make soap out of them and feed for your hogs. I have seen hundreds of back and forth comments arguing the merits of this particular type of ammo regarding its lethality. This disposal method, that meat harvesting technique, etc. A man comes to your door, drunk and belligerent, and yells for you to come out and help him, and you blast him. Ask questions later, eh? Some people are outside your retreat, pleading loudly for food. You warn them, but they keep yelling and threatening you. Finally, you sneak around behind them and cut them down with a burst from your modified AR-15. Then you cut up their corpses and feed the flesh to your hogs. Efficient use of their protein. Well done. Really? Within weeks, the feds have declared martial law and restored order to the Phoenix area. Law enforcement, though military, has been reconstituted. After several months, military detectives, anonymous tipsters, have figured you for murder, come poking around your homestead. Two months later, the provost marshal in charge of your sector has you arrested and charged with first-degree murder and mutilation of corpses. You are also charged with interfering with the investigation and with the cover-up of the shooting. Your wife is also charged and your two children become wards of the state. The state appropriates your property and your five years of stored food and supplies. National emergency regulations provide for this confiscation. One could argue the legality of arresting you considering the exigent circumstances under which your crime occurred, One could further debate the ethical and constitutionality of the feds declaring martial law and ruling with an appointed provost marshal. None of that matters while you rot in jail and it could all have been prevented. Much of what I read on survival blogs are debates about the the efficacy of the weapons or that. Tactics for neutralizing or killing possible zombie looters. How many thousands of rounds of defensive ammo one has... One fellow has improvised explosives to use as anti-vehicle weaponry. The cat, sorry, the car comes barreling up the road to your retreat, and boom—that's all she wrote, brother. Zombie scraps. If it's a total collapse with a ten-year or longer recovery, if if ever, then might be right, my friends. But when will you know that is the case? I have a good friend and crony in prepping and he has absolutely no less than lethal self-defense weapons. I am constantly bugging him to fill that shortfall. I have a good ballistic vest with plates. You may think that is not a less than a lethal weapon but it may give me the extra edge and confidence to deploy a less than a lethal response to an intrusion on my property like the ones I mentioned earlier. I may venture forth to deploy a large, nasty prepper spray fogger on the group of people clambering at my gate while Miss Survivor Dan covers me with an AR. I will be wearing my personal body armor and be carrying a conspicuous and rather nasty looking firearm to hold their attention while welcoming the crowd with a blast from my prepper spray fogger. If any are still standing and functional, I may drop them with a baton or my taser. Please don't proclaim your perception of the lack of practicality of my plan as I have enough experience with these techniques and less than lethal devices to know their and my capabilities and limitations. My point is that while the levels of force may be lowered in exigent circumstances allowing greater use of force than in normal conditions, one cannot arbitrarily kill people simply because one is afraid. You must be able to demonstrate and articulate that you were in fear of your life and or great bodily harm and had no other choice but the level of force that you used. Now, if you first pepper sprayed and tasered your assailant, assailant belligerence and someone still poses a very great threat to you and yours, well, let go with your Roscoe and drop him. You attempted to use less force, but they forced you to utilize lethal force. That is dependable behavior. Simply whacking everyone you come across post-collapse, and it may not really be a post-collapse situation, is not a proper course of action. Yep, they did come around and I, well, I just whacked them. Probably a bunch of cannibals, damn zombies, not going to go over well with the gender arms de jure. They will probably cuff you on the spot and haul your butt away. Get some ballistic vests before you get more guns. Train at armed and unarmed combatives. Take a course in the use of collapse, collapsible batons and pepper spray. Acquire a taser, not a touch stun gun, and get the training in its proper use. I have a dedicated shotgun with less than lethal rounds in it. Practice with one Imagine scenarios and plan tactics using less than lethal devices and techniques. And yes, always have someone right there on overwatch with lethal weapons. I can kill a man, but I wouldn't do it likely nor put myself in legal jeopardy in the doing. Living with your thoughts after justifiably killing folks is hard. Killing people without good reason and rotting in a federal prison is worse s d all right, so like i said there there's a lot of uh, comments here, but uh, something to really think about I think we 've mentioned this here recently. you know what if a situation actually we did mention this yesterday with uh, the what do you do with a dead body situation? you know what if the collapse that, that we 're experiencing is only temporary so going back to to Selco, I remember reading one of his articles. That said you know you had these warlords, and you had people who had all this power when they're in the collapse situation, but when order was restored, those people were found and they were tried and and then and then sometimes they were you know uh, dealt with by the locals right they weren't even they didn't even wait for trials It's just when everything got restored back they they were hunted down and and people you know took care of them so if you know a situation will eventually uh, let's just say a collapse you're in a collapse situation and it's only like a one two three year type type thing you know uh people have very very good memories and you know if you're known for that person who just whacked everyone who came in because you thought that they wanted to take something from you you know that might be something where people are coming and they're going to start asking questions right and so uh you know it's a good article something to think about uh, I think that's why you don't want to be all by yourself at a retreat, or you don't want to be all all on your own. You want to have strength in numbers. Uh, you know, if if someone wanted to attack you, they're going to have to look at you know all the numbers that are with you, and that's why I think it's important to have a group that you are you are working with, whether that's you know people that you know in your church family members that come alongside you or even your neighborhood you know if you're living in a suburban neighborhood and things collapse and you're able to rally everyone around you and every you know to say hey look this is what's going on and we need to start protecting ourselves and you 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 go from there right what whatever the the case may be i just think that a lot of the times you know and i have read a lot of those articles kind of like what dan is referring to here is um You know, people just you know, when as soon as the collapse happens, people are going to gear up. They're going to bust out their camo and their ARs, and they're just going to pop everybody who who comes into their uh you know to their yard or you know on on their property. And uh, I don't know if that's uh, definitely don't think that's the right thing to do. So a lot to think about here, and uh, maybe that is something to to think about. You know, less than lethal uh, you know means to defend yourself. Uh, and then definitely, the, you know, having shotgun with less than lethal rounds—that's that's probably one way that a lot of people would go. I think that would be an easy way to go, right? Um, and something to do. So, anyway, uh, good articles uh, today, uh, you know, with Selco, and then staying uh, cool in the heat, and then this one right here, um, Survivalist Blog about you know what's going to look like when uh, the poop hits the fan and how long will uh, a collapse actually be you got to remember that who you know if you're in a collapse Whoever's in power is going to be the person in power, right? Uh, referring back to this this article here, uh, you might not like the person who comes to power, and you can you could spew all the hey, the constitution and this and that. But if they're the person in power, they're the one who's going to be in charge right then and there. And so, uh, you know, they, they might they might want to be judge and jury right then and there, right? So uh, again, lots and lots of things to to think about. Well, guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say I really do appreciate everyone who uh, comes to uh, to the Prepper website podcast and shares out our articles and everyone who listens on the various different podcast catchers. I know there's, uh, you know, I keep up with iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and there's, uh, you know, Podbean and there's a bunch of other ones out there, so if you're listening on those, uh, again, I really do appreciate that. It means a whole lot to me. Uh, you know, if you get a chance, come in and connect with me on the, the website or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Don't forget that you can also come and be a part of uh, the free Facebook group. You know, uh, out there. That's uh, that's a place where there's a lot of communication going on. Uh, a lot more than the Facebook page. Uh, I really don't do anything on the page anymore. I'm I'm kind of spending my time on the Facebook group. So uh, I think there's just more value there in, in the dialogue, being able to dialogue with people uh, back and forth. All right, so uh, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.